uh yeah it's well jen it's here it's here game maker week we are i do love the game maker series we have spent what it's like 11 weeks i mean we've spent like 25 weeks talking about romance novels but we spent 11 weeks talking about iad and here we are and we're going to talk about something else that Cressley did. Because in the middle, because Cressley's amazing. And in the middle of all of this, like, she's like, she's doing all the paranormal, things. paranormal, paranormal, paranormal. Oh, hey, I'm just going to write a contemporary series alongside my paranormal series. Which is basically Roth Brother fan fiction. Because we've, yeah. like, left the vampires behind. And yet they're still with us. But I also think there's that does some really interesting things that like both worked for me and didn't as a reader. But mm. because it's Cressley, I still think it's going to be interesting for us to talk about. So this is not Mated Fates. It's Faded Mates. Oh, yeah. And I am Jen Prokop, also known as Jen Reads Romance on Twitter. Now you know everything about what I do. And this is... Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And... Uh, we are your guides on this wacky journey. So what I want to do actually to start is talk about the Game Makers as a series. Because it's doing some things that are really different. And you did a bunch of like legwork on when they all came out. Oh, yeah. So let's have you kind of talk about like them in the like the in the timeline, the Cressley timeline. Sure. Maybe. Well, so, okay, we are reading, as we mentioned last time when we did McGreeve, we said we were going to start switching it up because now Cressley fans who were reading as the series was coming out suddenly heard in 2013 that Cressley was releasing a contemporary romance, mafia romance, which in two thir- 2013 was like the thing. Everybody yeah. was writing mafia romances. Um and so as readers, you had just all come off of McGreeve. You've all read, you had all read the um, preview chapter of Monroe, which still is coming <laughs> end of the month, end of May. Um, but is, you know, obviously we had to wait a long time for that. And instead of getting your Monroe book or a new IAD book, you're getting, surprise, a contemporary from Cressley. The Professional was released in three parts over the course of a month. It was released December 16th, 2013, January 4th or 5th, 2014, and then the final installment was January 20th, uh, 2014. And it was separated. I want to get the tweet because um, Jen and I did not read this in three parts. We both came to Cressley later. And we read it. Yeah. We didn't even know. I I found out about a year ago that it was released in three parts, but Jen didn't even know until like two days ago. Two days ago, you told me. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so tell us, we had a reader, a listener, I guess I should say, who figured it out. It is Sarah Anashari. And I apologize if I've mispronounced your name, Sarah, but we love you um, in large part because you went to your nook and like took down critical information for us um chapter or part one was chapters one through 17 so it ends just as they've entered the bathhouse um in the rainstorm and part two is chapters 18 to 33 and that ends just as sebastian opens the curtains in the sex club to reveal the orgy but she doesn't know what the or that it's an or we don't know it's an orgy at the end of Chapter 33. Right. Like she like drops the glass of champagne and says, oh, my God. Yeah. And then part three is the end. 
Well, there was also like in 2013 in Romance Landia, this is sort of inside baseball, but uh, there were a lot, there was a lot of discussion of like, well, could we make serials work in romance? Because there was sort of this idea that like romance is really, um, the like primordial texts of genre fiction are Dickens and Dickens was serialized. And so like, could we do it? And a lot of writers tried it. And now we see cliffhangers. It basically delivered cliffhangers to us. So Jen hates you for that, everyone. Thanks for nothing, Cressley. <laughs> and oh, it's first person, right? Which she had never has she done since. Jen, it's first person cliffhanger books. <laughs> you would have been done. <laughs> If you'd That's read true. this December 16th, 2013. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, who is this lady? I hate her. <laughs> I haven't read the Arcana Chronicles, though, her YA series. So I don't know if it's first person or not. That's my question. Oh, that's a good question. Um I will say this was then produced, it was then released in print and e in completion, like in in a full in a full book in May of 2014. So, you know. It was a pretty quick... uh, Yeah, turnaround. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this is just like sort of, I don't know, maybe you don't care, but I'm going to tell you my story about how, why I think I read this when I did. Of course I care. Of course you do. Um, At this point in time, I was real hooked on a series about, uh, by Roxy Riviera, about a bunch of Russian monsters. I've never heard that name before. I am fair. You're like, come on. No, I believe you. I just... Yeah. No, she's and so the first one is called Nikolai. It was oh, the series is called Her Russian Protector. And um there's like a bunch of different guys and each one each the name of each book is like the name of the man of the like Ivan or Nikolai. And I actually she stopped writing those books and it's like one of those things where I hope she's okay. I don't know what happened to Roxy Rivera, but she never finished the series. And so I think I also watched the movie Eastern Promises with Vigo Mortensen. Covered in tattoos. Covered in tattoos. And it's actually a real violent, but really, actually, I love that movie. I, mm-hmm. I think it's one of my, it's like an amazing movie. Diego Mortensen can get it. FYI. I was like, Sarah, you have to say that he can get it. He can get it. He can, he can, he can get it. He can get it. So I was, I think I'm sure that Amazon was probably like, if you like Roxy Rivera, you know, these Russian protectors, you might like write the professional. And I looked at my Amazon account. I read The Professional on January 21st, 2016, and I read The Master January 23rd, two days later, and then this part's hilarious. I remember feeling like I was going to have to wait ages for the player. <laughs> it was a month later. Yeah. It, like, I, looked, I looked at my Amazon account and was like, and then I waited 18 months for the player. <laughs> no, I waited like 18 fucking days. That... But- is almost exactly what happened to me when I got to the end of IAD. I finished Sweet Ruin and I had to wait like two months to get to Wicked Abyss. And it felt like a fucking eternity. And so I can't, yeah. I, this is my whole thing. This is why I don't understand people who read <laughs> paranormal romance as a matter of course, because waiting for the new IAD book is just <sighs> interminable. It's interminable. Like, Praise a rosary for Monroe. Um, I have answers for you. Arcana Chronicles is first person present. Interesting. So obviously I'm never going to read that. <laughs> and Game Makers is first person past. Yeah. 
Which is so here's Yeah, it is. So let's talk about, as it turns out, my favorite is the master and your favorite is the player. And we're going to pace ourselves. Mm-hmm, 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 and, and I cannot wait for you all to get to the player. It's so good. Right. And it's, and it's interesting because when we talk about the master, we're going to do it with Sophie Jordan, who it is her favorite and my favorite. And she has a whole, ser- a whole theory about the Game Maker series. And we won't, we'll let her explain it. But one of the things that I think this series is doing, because I'm, I as a reviewer, as a critic, I'm always really interested in like, what is the book trying to achieve and does it achieve it? Mm -hmm. I think that it's almost going to be better for us then to talk about this maybe as a series and talk about the things in the professional that do work. And then maybe when we talk about the things that didn't work for us. I think we're still going to be able to talk about what we think it was maybe trying to do, yeah. but then figures out by book three. Yes. Right? By and book so, two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By book two. And what I would say also is this is then really hard, I think, for both of us because we both obviously love Cressley Cole a whole lot. So when you come to a book by an author that you don't love, it's kind of like, eh. But I think the thing I would like to say is I, as a reader, I want authors to try new things. Yeah. I want authors to experience or to experiment with plotting and point of view and characters and characterization and stakes and angst. I want that all to happen. And then sometimes when they do that, there's going to be a book that just doesn't quite fit me right. But I still really have a ton of respect for authors who are doing things that are different. Yeah. And I can only imagine that like riding the IAD train must be be hard exhausting so this is yeah right like and the the not only the pressure for you the pressure of the world you've created all those voices loa must whisper in her fucking ear every morning hey girl what about me <laughs> and I, right and so so it must be and then your fans who want to know when the next i mean come on i think there's a monroe countdown clock in my kitchen right iad fans i mean and we are two of them but iad fans especially like they are so loyal and so like they right. adore these books you know we've talked before about the facebook group where people pretend they cosplay yeah. on Facebook the characters like it must be real hard to just right. like constantly be thinking about and especially for someone like Cressley who as we've talked about is always leveling up I think yeah. there must have been real freedom in writing contemporaries absolutely maybe and I should just go else. off and try a paranormal there you go bam paranormal first person <laughs> first person no I would never for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know what is interesting is we don't have to talk about first person right now, but I think you're right. I think we should, though, I do think something's going on here in this episode. Um, She's stretching. Yeah, she's stretching her muscles. She's trying something new. And you know what? I'm all for that, like, as a reader, right? So when we talk about the things that didn't work for us, I just want to put it in the perspective of I still think the worst Crestley Cole book for me is still a book that I have reread scenes of many times. Yeah. So can we talk about what I think is going on here in this book and in this series? So first of all, I just want to say we'll just do a quick like two minute overview of the series because I imagine that there are a lot of people listening to the podcast who are with us for IAD but haven't read Game Makers. Um, And we fully encourage you to read these books. They're terrific the series itself is really interesting and terrific so what we have here i mean i've joked around about it it is i think cressley sort of missing the roth brothers and like bringing them back as you know heroic figures in a contemporary setting um we have three which roth brother oh no 
I'm sorry, I was going to interrupt and I shouldn't, but maybe explain, but then tell me which Roth brother you think this is. Okay. Yeah, I got to think about who the middle one is. Maybe you'd be we'll able just to do, do that today. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll so I up. do, so <laughs> I think this is, so, and, and in large part, like there are a lot of echoes of the Roth brothers that it's hard to kind of not see. Um, you know, they're all Russian. They're all like six and a half feet tall and blonde and perfect. Um, they all punch walls. They all punch <laughs> walls, although that is a full Lothair. None of these are Lothair. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe the master's a little Lothary. Okay, it doesn't matter. Point is, um, if you loved those early vampire books, you will extra love, I think, this series. Like, also, I think it's really interesting because Faded Mates is a real hard trope to move out of contemporary, or rather out of, out of paranormal. paranormal. And Cressley, the professional is a Faded Mates story. It's a bodyguard story, are. but it's a thing. I think they all oh, are. The player for sure is. So but, and the master because, yeah. and all of them. It's like really interesting how faded mates plays out as coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's also I. I mean, like, and we'll talk about this over the course of these three books. Over, you know, and we're not going to get to the player for a while. But um, when we're talking about them, I want to just make sure that we're constantly coming back to this question of like how faded mates works. And also kind of doesn't work outside yeah. of a paranormal world because it can feel a little squicky in contemporary, right? Like there's a right. – it's a tricky balance and she does it really brilliantly. Um, in some in some of these books, it's like – it's just a master class in how to like translate that trope outside of paranormal. That all said, I think – so we have three brothers, three Russian brothers who were born – um, and raised in a really traumatic home. Here we, we're back to that Cressley Cole core story. We're coming off of McReeve. These guys have had not the exact same experience as McReeve, but they've also been you know raised in a traumatic setting. They've experienced yeah. trauma in a really horrifying way. Um, the eldest, Sebastian, is the hero of the professional, the first hero. He escapes this home, leaves his younger brothers there, um, and goes off and ends up homeless as a kid on the streets of St. Petersburg, where he is rescued by a mafia don, who then raises him to be a mafia don um, in St. Petersburg. Um, and uh, our heroines are all Americans. The one, the heroine of the professional is Natalie. She's a PhD candidate in English at the University of Nebraska. She is a 24-year-old virgin who, like, loves mm. all things sexual, but just, like, has never – she calls herself right. right on the first page, like, a manalist. <laughs> like, she – It's just pretty great. She I can, like, that. basically – she has a, like, epic bullshit meter for men. And so, like, whenever she meets any new man, she's basically able to say, like, well, that guy's, you know, a problem for X, Y, or Z. And um, so she's never – she hasn't lost her, quote, skin tag as her friend Jess, who's, like, amazing. Ugh. Jess is, like, I do an love Jess, awesome Jess character. Yeah. She's basically, like, Regan in in yeah. human form. Um, yeah, yes, exactly. And so there's a lot of Cressley baked into these books. Um, oh, anyway, sure. so the heroine is adopted, and she goes looking via a DNA site for her parents – and discovers that her father is a Russian, an older dude in Russia, who right. happens to be the Mafia Don who saved 
Sebastian from the streets on, of St. Petersburg. Sebastian is now his, like, lieutenant, his most trusted second-in-command, and he sends Sebastian to Nebraska to protect Natalie from afar. So there's a lot of, like, standing outside a window that has been going on. Um, Well, and it's funny. And that's where the book begins. Yeah, and as you talk about this, one of the things I'm really feeling is that one of the things Cressley is doing is really like weaving in or or maybe it's like an homage to a lot of other things that are happening in pop culture in like the first part of this century right so the like the bodyguard the standing outside the the right the looking in is very twilight twilight bits her i'm a manalist but i can't see him reminds me a lot of sookie stackhouse Mm. right who if you watch true blood or read those books she essentially can like read minds but she can't is it that she can't read vampire minds and so there's this like blessed silence almost that she that comes from when she's like, around bill them. yeah right and so for, for so in this case the fact that sebastian sebastian is so like like as a cipher to her right is and i think that's part of the initial draw in some ways right because he he is a very hard to understand hero and i think that's part of the point of view thing we'll talk about but one of the things i've really struggled with is like well why is she drawn to him and i think it's because he um defies her easy ability to understand other men and there she wants to crack that code just like all romance heroines want mm-hmm. to crack that code mm-hmm. so i think there's a lot going on there and i think that what's happening here in this book in a really weird way because look Cressley, as we've just sort of established, is coming off this really complex world where she's ha- no doubt feeling like the pressure to level up every book the- because she's doing it every book. I want you to go back and talk about the thing we forgot to talk about with McGreeve oh, at-, at the end, right? Because we were we had this, we recorded McGreeve and we loved the yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. but you were like, we forgot to talk about them as fighting equals yeah yeah and i think i want you to do that before you pivot to talking about sebastian because i think in a lot of ways she's exploring like that alpha yeah right and the two sides to that coin yeah which we want the one side of but look at look what's on the other side yeah um okay well so i will do that you have your mission. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Last week, we talked about McGreeve with Sierra Simone. And one of the things that I meant to talk about and didn't talk about is this way that McGreeve ends with partnership between McGreeve and Chloe. Um, so Chloe and Holly and Ellie are all – there are human heroines in I, in IAD, and they're each very different from each other, as we established, as we talked about with Sierra. But what's really interesting about Chloe is that she's matched with this, like, perfect hero. That Cressley has always held up, I think, the, the, the light gay as being the most yes. valued heroes in the sense of – they are instantly attracted to their heroine. They are instant protectors. They have this instinct and this beast that will continually protect the heroine and stand with her, right? So you think about Gareth ripping yeah. the heads off of demons to get to Lucia 
before she the boat takes off down the Amazon, right? Like he cannot deal with the idea that he can't protect her. And he finds her. And ultimately what we're saying what we're seeing here is that um Chloe and McGreeve don't have that to begin with. McGreeve isn't interested yeah. in protecting Chloe because he's so angry. He's so dissociated from his beast. And then by the end, when he's sort of healed by the, you know, when he heals himself and then they are, they become partners in a really like powerful way. So when we see the end of this, like with all the other vampire and all, frankly, all the other partners, all the other pairings in IED, we see the hero and the heroine together, but the hero is still like alpha protector and the heroine is is strong, but like slightly less physically strong than he is maybe and also like and so there is sort of like a protector like a bodyguard protectee sort of relationship all the time in McGreeve though it doesn't end that way it ends with a very clear nod to the idea that a um despite being a succubus and having no physical prowess really Chloe is fucking badass she can wield a sword like no one else. And when they go to rescue Monroe from wherever he's been captured and imprisoned, they're going to be there fighting shoulder to shoulder. Partners. Equal partners. And there's a magnificent feeling to that at the end of McGreeve that I wish we talked about last week. And I'm really glad we're talking about this week. That said, that is a real tough sell in this book and in... I mean, it's a harder it's a harder thing when you're dealing with alphas. It's a hard thing when you're dealing with alphas, period. But it's a really hard thing when you're doing what I think Cressley is doing in this series, which is peeling back all the layers of the alpha and stripping them down to their, like, bones. But what's interesting is I feel like what's happened is Cressley got to the end of McGreeve and sort of showed us what the sort of perfect alpha relationship is, right? She's like, McGreeve and Chloe partnered and shoulder to shoulder even in battle, right? And McGreeve able to like control his beast even in the most extreme cases to protect her and to like live with her in equality, right? Is, we've sort of, we've peaked. It's like alpha 10, right? The the perfect alpha partnership. I mean, they had to go through some things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course, right? But it's still like we've gotten to this. Again, it's that sort of fearlessness of Cressley. Like, has she tapped? Has she like sort of transcended Alpha in some way? And maybe she has. I don't know. I haven't gotten to my reread of Dark Sky. And maybe this is just a like bananas theory. But now we're in contemporary. And it's like what she's doing. She cannot lift up an IAD hero and set it down in no. contemporary romance because it can't work. The stakes aren't there the same way. And we can't tolerate it the same way. And I think it's asking then a lot of really interesting questions about why we do tolerate it in paranormal. Right? And so why I, it's important yeah. to say dates here, right? So we're looking at 2013 yes. We are currently, like, in 20, you know, it, it's like Wayne's World. It's Wayne's yes. World, right? Where they, <laughs> right? If we go back to 2013, 
we're tolerating it in a lot of contemporaries. It's start right. It's yeah. like it's Twilight. Yes, the bones of it are Twilight, but like it's really right. uh, it's Fifty Shades, which then yeah. launched this like f- you know a million alpha billionaires, each yeah, one of whom absolutely. is like as a private dungeon in their home in Pennsylvania and is <laughs> and is essentially a problematic vampire right from the yeah so maybe it's all tongue in cheek i don't know or it's saying almost maybe more like be careful what you wish for right like if this is what this hero really is if you really want him standing outside your room and being a, a super protector and Right? Like, then this would come along with it. Yeah. And I think then, therefore, like, what you and I are really struggling with is what, like, Cressley is sort of putting in front of us, right? It's Which like is, a cautionary tale. Yeah, absolutely it is, right? So it's like, oh, this is what you think you want. Let me show <laughs> you what that might really look like. Now how does it feel? Yeah. Right? Viggo Mortensen can get it, but, like, can Eastern <laughs> promises Viggo Mortensen get it? Probably not. <sighs> That's a terrifying uh, proposition. No, but I right. mean, truthfully, what's happening here is Cressley has put an alpha on the page and then peeled back all the other business to oh, yeah. what we have here is like the old school, yep, impenetrable alpha hole. Oh, yeah. And he is real tough to take. Well, and I think this is where... It's then compounded by like the writing thi- the the writing trends of the 2010s, right? So we have first person point of view, we have single heroin only first person point of view, and that mix with a very impenetrable hero who is also a Cressley Cole hero, and we have discussed many times that Cressley Cole heroes are, are all about action rather than words, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're, it's like you're taking something that already is is can be hard to take, and then it intensifies right through well, all of these other things. It's like he, a, you know, like it spins off of Africa and starts off it as like a as like a little tropical storm, but over the warm waters of Cressley Ocean, it's turned into <laughs> like hurricane fucking dickhead, right? And hurricane I feel dick like, flu. <laughs> yes, yes. And I feel like it's, but I can see how all of that is hearkening back to like what we were doing at that time and i think that's what this book is doing right yeah it's It's asking a a lot of really tough questions yes it's it's doing a lot of that work um it's also uh more i think more of a struggle on the reread this is not a book i reread it's not i mean we'll talk more when we have sophie on about why i think that is Um, it's just not, it doesn't scratch my itch the way most of the others do. There are two scenes, there are two scenes that scratch my itch, but I think it's going to be better to talk about them when we talk about Natalie as a heroine. Yeah, yeah. So the issue being in this case, like on the reread, it almost has, and I sort of hesitate to say this, but it almost has a like dub con feel to me. Yeah. In the sense that. The story is very much an alpha hero who thinks he knows what's best for the heroine. 
Right. And is willing to basically do anything to keep her safe, including lock her away from the rest of the world. And the stakes here are not they can't, that by virtue of it being a contemporary i might forgive it in fact i do forgive it right like the lothair yeah. locks ellie oh, away master, literally right. from the rest of the world right the lothair says i'm gonna put her on death row because that'll keep her on ice for however long right. and i forgive it with him because immortality allows us to sort of forgive and it puts it yeah. establishes the stakes as a much higher thing Versus here, the stakes don't feel that high. What here you sort of feel like, well, she's just a girl in Nebraska. Like, is there? Yeah, right. Who cares? Like, is there? Is, well, is the mafia really going to come for her in Nebraska? Yeah. So it's like then it's like a tricky. Um, it's like a tricky thing, right? Because it's first person. Right. We can't see the danger because we're not in his point of view. Right, and he doesn't share it with her. And when she asks, he sort of gives her the brush off and she's like, oh, okay. And I think that's the reason why maybe it's almost like it's, you know, he is an uh, impenetrable hero and she is like a bit of a Mary Sue, Mm, right? Like she's mm -hmm. just kind of good at everything and really beautiful and knows how to ride a horse or whatever. (laughs) But I also feel like um, I kept wondering, like, what does she do all day? Like, there's the one part I really, I mean, there's a lot of things I did like about this book. I think the sex is really great. Mm-hmm. And I think if that's what this book is trying to do, and it does it well. Mm-hmm. But um, the she's using the moon to mark time. And they met on the night of the full moon. <laughs> and a month later, I love this. She was like, oh, it's been a month. It's like our, our moon anniversary. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> but I found myself really wondering, like, what did she do all day? And we know in, in, um... The master, we know what she does all day. Yeah, and the player too. And the player too. And I think that we also see that in this way, um, I I bet Cressley even herself was like, meh, I I wish I would have given her more to do. Yeah, well, I'm going to get to, right? I want to get to like what I think Cressley is learning as she's doing this. Because here's the other thing. This is a learning, as as Jen pointed out, like when authors try new things, it's learning not just for the reader to like learn how to read a Cressley Cole contemporary, but it's also it's learning for her as a writer, right? So she's learning Absolutely. how to use first person the way yeah. Cressley Cole can use first person, right? So when we go right. back again and again to me saying like, I'm not, I'm, I am a Cressley stan. But I also believe she is in the top five romance writers of all time. And so when you hand her a new tool, yeah, she has to learn how to use it. But it takes her this book and then, like, she writes a better first-person heroine point of view than 90% of the other people who are writing it. Sure. Well, and it's also like because it's Cressley, she is not pulling back in any other no, way. No, she's fearless right? still. It's like it's like she learned to drive stick shift in a Ferrari. <laughs> right? It's it's not like she was like, "Oh, I'll take first person for a spin in a short fucking story." No. Right? no, no. And so I think that that's part of it too, right? Like there's all these things that this is like maybe trying to accomplish. So So wait, can we talk I think now is the time yeah. to talk about first person though because I think um, we have to talk about point of view 
when we're talking about Sebastian um, because he's so unlikable. He's an unlikable hero, right? And not unlikable the way um, Lothair is unlikable where, like, you hate him but love the way he talks. And not unlikable the way McGreeve is unlikable where you hate him but you understand. Yeah. He's unlikable in just a purely sort of like what's wrong with this asshole way until we get to the end. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a couple reasons for that, right? So if you're, you know, and I, I I don't know, like it's always hard for me because I don't love first person. I don't hate, I, uh, it's complicated. Here's what I would say. The way first person really works, like the way we as people move throughout the world, and I know that narration is not the same as like that, but whatever, is we have to draw conclusions based on a lot of things that we see about other people, what they say, how they act, what they do, their facial expressions, like, right, we get all that information in and we think we know how the other person is feeling. Natalie doesn't seem to know how he's feeling because he's avoiding her, right? Because he won't talk to her. And he's impenetrable to us because he's impenetrable to her. So we're on that ride with her. But then what's really hard for me to understand is why she keeps sticking around. And that one of the f- the flaws in this book, I would say, like a thing I'll really name as not working is at for 300 pages or whatever, I basically assume the reason she doesn't leave is because she really can't. That there are armed guards that, like, she really is, like, would not be able to leave. That she'd be prevented from leaving. And then when she finally does leave, it's literally two sentences. She's, like, grabs a bag, her passport, some cash, and sneaks out the fucking side door. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what have you been doing for weeks then? Yeah. So I think it then really, like your point is, the stakes aren't really high enough for me to believe that she's just happily sitting around, like, watching the video feeds from this pair of street and nothing else but, for weeks. So here's what's interesting, right? So we know because we're told that she's in danger and that he is yeah. her, like, the only thing between her and death, right? Like, or kidnapping, mm-hmm. right? In the beginning, it's kidnapping. And then ultimately, it's like there is a threat. There's an outside threat that he's very concerned about. But again, because he doesn't talk. And look, I just, I have a book coming out in July, uh, Brazen and the Beast. For those of you who read my first, the first book in this series, w- Wicked and the Wallflower, you know Beast, who is the hero of this book, doesn't, he's a grunter. He doesn't talk. He's <laughs> a man right. of very few words. Um, and... It, and I did have access. I do write in third person. I do write in dual POV. And I had access to Beast's internal monologue. And it was still hard to do. Right? Right. Because ultimately, the heroine cannot understand what she does is not told. Right? Right. And so right. Natalie doesn't understand, like, why she's stuck inside this house in Paris. And he doesn't tell her. And we don't really understand because we're not there either. But Cressley in this book starts to – you can see the seeds of it, right? And I want you to talk about one of your favorite scenes right now. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because like you – I mean, I've reread The Master from beginning to end. Like I'm going to say like 20 times you're going to be like, yeah, sure. But it's true. And – but this book, there's two scenes that I reread. And the – And I think they're really because it's when you see Natalie like really taking charge 
in a way that she's been like pretty passive and pretty willing to like let things happen to her, which is unusual for a Cressley Cole heroine. And the first is the scene where she's alone in the townhouse, figures out that he's probably watching her and gets on the bed and starts masturbating. And he calls her on the phone. It's pretty to tell her great. to stop. It's hot. And he tells her, because you know me and the exhibitionism stuff, right? I'm super into it. But this scene to me is way more sexy than, for example, the scene in the sex club. Yeah. Because this is something she has decided to do rather than something she's like receiving. Right. And so he calls her and is basically like, you stop right now. And she's like, oh, too bad. I'm busy right now. Talk to you later. And she hears him break like literally break like he his his language skills right he's like trying to talk to her in one language Mm -hmm. and their driver in another and telling him to go faster and and it's so sexy because she is the one in charge of it yes and you right but also it's sexy because it's a magnificent use of first person right yeah she hears him breaking and that impacts their relationship right like she unpacks like she can hear him she can hear the shift in him in this person Mm -hmm. who never shifts he's so even and he's so rigid and like yeah uh, unstructured that she and she's like she's like pounding against a it's like a brick wall she's like just punching this brick wall she finally figures out how to like crack it and that unpacks their relationship in a way yeah and so suddenly it feels like you're in a romance novel in that moment. Yeah. And in like that moment. the end, it feels like you're in an erotic romance novel where like the sex yes. is impacting their the arc of their relationship from beginning to end. Right. Well, and I think that it's master that, of- that scene is I'm sorry. It's masterful no. use of first person POV. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that the the other scene that I reread is the scene where she is fed up with him. She discovers he's been lying about having family. He has brothers and she's met him. He's been really rude. Basically sends her to her room. Then she makes her two sentence getaway and she's going to go to the airport and get on a plane to Nebraska and get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a scene of her really being, um, having agency. Yeah. Truly. And I reread the scene all the time. And it is because I desperately, every time I read it, want her to get away. Yeah, you want her to get on the plane. And him, you want, want him to, to have to chase her. Yes, I absolutely. Through space and time. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, this is, oh. Chasing her down the concourse was not enough for No. Me. But here's the <laughs> thing. You asked me at the beginning, who do I think the Roth brother is in this book? Yeah. And I think me. it's Nikolai. Um, tell me more. Because... It's almost as though through the whole book, he's got her chain, right? Like, and the chain Mm -hmm. is like, there's that moment. It's so so problematic and so sexy at the beginning of that Nikolai book where she, where he gets the chain and he says, come, and she just comes, Comes. right? (laughs) And you're like, oh, that seems like it's completely wrong, but my God, it's amazing. (laughs) In this scene, right, again, it goes back to that sort of here Cressley is like playing with erotica and sex is critical to their relationship. It's all they have. It's the only time she ever sees him unraveled in any way. And in that moment, in the airport, it's like Nikolai and Mist 
where he's like, I own you. Like, I I yeah. get to control where you go, when you go. It's Natalie. Yeah. He says, Natalie, do not leave. Or do not run. Right. Natalie, do not right. run. Right? Right. And he right. says it at the beginning in the cornfield maze or in the cornfield. Yep. And then he says it again. Or I don't think he says it again in the airport. But, like, essentially, it call, it's a callback to you can't run. You can never escape me. Which well, does sort of I, echo. It is that a little bit of that dub con bit. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing I would say. You laughed because I was like, I want to talk about airports as symbols. <laughs> but both of those scenes happened at airports. And then that scene where they, like, the first time they have any kind of real, like, sexy times, it's a 60, they's on the plane, like, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I remember in my memory, I'm like, yeah, they kind of make out on the plane. Full on 69 on the fucking plane. Mm-hmm. And it is hot. Mm-hmm. It is super hot, right? And I think it does, and I keep thinking about, like, why is it airports and airplanes? And, you know, there's a whole scene where they're, like, making a getaway on a boat there's a car right but ultimately like she's like no matter how much movement there is he has her grounded right and not in a good way like not in a like i'm grounded to the earth way in a like i'm i'm like chaining you to the ground way and i don't think it's a mistake then that there's so much like you know what i mean that there's so much about this that is about like him deciding for her yeah so I think in some ways, like, it's like this, she wants to get away, she wants to have movement, she wants to be making decisions, but, you know, the this book, she's just not that character. And I think that my ultimate, like, I'm kind of making air quotes, disappointment with this mm-hmm. book, because this book is has a lot of things I do like about it, is I think what I'd say is this book, She's submissive in the bedroom, but that doesn't mean she has to be submissive in their relationship. But somehow she is. Yeah. In a way that I just I just wanted more or, or different, right? So, and it's okay for me to say that, I think. Of course. Of course it is. And I don't disagree. And um, you know, today I spent part of the day with Megan Frampton, who writes wonderful historical novels. And Megan and I were talking about this book because I knew we were going to record tonight. And Megan said something really thoughtful to me where she, you know, she pointed out that when she reads a book that is less successful for her by an author who she loves as much as we love Cressley, what it does is it doesn't disappoint so much as it does throw into stark relief the things that these authors really are masterful at. Right. And I think and what you that keep coming back to what them for, this, right? What this book, what Natalie proves to us and sort of underscores for us is how magnificent a Cole heroine is. Like, yep, you're right. Natalie is submissive in all aspects of her life. And the rest of Cressley's heroines are all like alpha submissives, meaning they're alphas on the page in life and submissives in the bedroom. I mean, not all of them are submissives, but the, you know, when they are, they're alphas, like they're pure Valkyrie on the page. And then, and Natalie is not that. Natalie is just a girl from a corn, from from a cornfield in Nebraska. And... There is there is a moment where I mean there're not just one there are multiple moments in this book where I'm like what is Cressley why this girl why this yeah. 
archetype because Natalie is an archetype. Like, yeah, why this character against an alpha in this way? And I do think what we see here, what we're seeing here, again, it goes back to this sort of like unpeeling the alpha to his and, and sort of distilling him to like his alpha whole essence, right? Yeah, right. We end up with like this kind of perfect girl like she is pretty perfect and ideal and she doesn't really have anything to lose she has a loving family she has great friends she has a career she has and then by the end she's like a billionaire right like she has money she has power she has a passport yeah you know what it reminded me of is Kids are really fascinated by the story of the Romanovs Mm. and like Anastasia, the missing princess, right? Who isn't almost almost like Sleeping Beauty, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of that is just like a prelude. She is. She's a princess in a tower. Yeah. Yeah. But what's really interesting is I think that the reason why she works so well with or why why she should work so well with the alpha of Sebastian is that she represents everything that he is not she is his pure opposite right she is what would happen there but for the grace of god goes he yeah like absolutely if not for his childhood if not for his you know for all the decisions that he made if not for being like an urchin on the streets of saint petersburg he too could be a person with a loving adopted family in fact he had one but it was sort of a perverted family experience right Right. covered in right mafiosi so well when he sees her she's too pristine she i mean i love that that's my catnip is like oh i'm you're too good for me right like oh yeah right i She's too pristine. She's too perfect. She's she's too she's a virgin. far above him. She's a virgin. Like virginity is so thoughtfully done here. Um, oh yeah, because she's it not was believable, a, right? She's not a she's not inexperienced. No, she's not inexperienced. She's not opposed to sex. She likes sex. She owns like an arsenal of vibrators, as he refers to it, right? Yes. But then, yeah. like virginity is so prized in this community. That, like, yeah. the, if they have sex, it's done. They're married. Oh, yeah. They're mated. Yeah. Well, and there's lots of really interesting words, right? They're plighted. Then, Ugh. you know, it's like he refers to her as, like, this is my fiance. It's and so archaic. Like, yeah, it is. It's very old school. And she, what's interesting is, like, she knows it. We know. Cressley knows it. There's nothing. It's not archaic and desirable. Right. And... The friend, her friend Jess, is constantly like, fuck that. Like, always be crazier. Like, get out. Yeah. Like, just walk away. Right. Well, and Jess is actually a really interesting character. Like, did you already say, or was this in a text, that she's basically like Regan on the page? Oh, yeah. I think I said at the beginning (laughs) of the episode. But, yeah, she is. She's like a – Right? She's collecting lore orphans with (laughs) – Yeah, but she also says, along with always be crazier – she says, when a man tells you who he is, listen. Yeah. Right? And I think that, but I, I think even Jess's advice is what kind of propels Natalie to the airport, right? Like, although that it, she, they'd have the conversation and then she's real pissy about finding out he has a brother because. Well, he lies to her. Fam- she says, yeah. do you have siblings? He says, no. 
Well, and if family is everything, then that's like the one thing you can't lie about. Right. right? Well, family is what got her into this whole mess to begin with. That's right. So to have him deny his own family would be like a literal real deal breaker for her. But I think the other thing that's interesting about it, the thing I keep thinking is because because she had such a good childhood or has has been fundamentally happy, she is in a position to like listen to quote George Michael without prejudice and is able to like forgive him, right? Or not forgive him, but to to not judge him mm-hmm. when when he does finally, you know, reveal her story his story to her. Yeah. The there's one part I was like, I was like, come on, where she's like, I just I she's like, I didn't there's a lot maybe that made me feel that way, but like in a good way. Oh, you had a secret sex room in Paris redone in just eight hours. Come on. But I, um, there's a part where she, where she says something like, I, I just didn't expect that the differences between our stories would be so vast. And I wanted to be like, yeah, really? That's nice. I, I, I didn't, that was like, I was like, you just lied to yourself and to me. Yeah. I mean, of course. Right. Right. I I think there there's a lot to love here. I think that there's um I do think there's a slight problem. I think a lot of the problems that I have with this um with this book are structural because of the original serialization. The original yeah. structure of it. Um the fact, you know, the dad dying so early I think is because she needed a second act inciting, like she needed a second act, like incendiary point. And if she had had the freedom to write 350 pages by her, like all in one go, I think the dad probably wouldn't have died for a while. Um, You know, maybe not. That's me. Who knows? I've, I've said, I've proven a thousand times that I'm not good (laughs) at, predicting what Cressley should you know will do but I think um there are a couple of moments where I I think like it just this sort of proves to me that serialization might well work for romance as it in its own way but ultimately it shouldn't be sort of packed together and delivered but on the at the other point like even a sort of as you said earlier like even the the my least favorite Cressley Cole book is like in the top amazing book still, 30 right? of my favorite romance novels of all time. So, I mean, what can I even say? Yeah, I mean, I think the point about serialization is really interesting because the breaking points are clearly about their sexual relationship, which is what we would expect in an erotic romance. Mm-hmm. The father is what pulls her to Russia. Mm-hmm. But he's also the impediment to their relationship. So he's got to go. But it feels a little like he got fridged. Yeah, he doesn't really have to go. He loves them both. Like, he basically is like, if you guys want to be together, I'm going to throw you the biggest wedding like Russia's ever seen. It's going to be amazing. Putin's going to be there. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's it. Now we have, now that's it. Now that that's on the recording, we're being watched. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I've read a really fucked up book about Putin that I'll put in show notes that my Kelly and I read, and it like still sh- scares the shit out well, of me. Well, he's a terrifying person. Have you heard the story about how he stole uh, the the fucking Super Bowl ring? What? Okay, this is the craziest motherfucking story ever, and I swear to God, it is true, listeners. He was with 
Um, oh, you're like a Patriots fan. Who who's their owner? Oh, that Republican guy. I don't know. Kraft? No. I don't know. Somebody. Somebody. He basically yeah. Robert Kraft. Somebody is that his name? and was. You are gonna Google this right now. Mm-hmm. Google Putin Super Bowl ring. And he is sitting with somebody and he's like, oh, yeah, let me see your Super Bowl ring. And then basically, like, takes off with it. He fucking stole somebody's Super Bowl ring. Whose Super Bowl ring? This guy's ring? Yeah, it's Robert Kraft. Um, yeah. Weird. I'm, I'm, I'm. My point is, you would not want him at your wedding. That's all I'm saying. No. What happened to the No, gifts? no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's why the dad had to die, because Putin would have been at this wedding. And... Otherwise, Putin would have come and stole all the gifts <laughs> at the wedding. Plot hole resolved. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here's how Vladimir Putin stole a Super Bowl ring from the Patriots. It's fucking wild. You're like, this shit's crazy. Y'all, do not get in bed with the so, Russians is a good lesson yeah. from I'm... the 20 teens. Yeah, no kidding. Do you uh, think okay, from- all in all honesty, do you think part of this is Go that ahead. like we're reading a romance like do you think Russian is a problem now? Russian hero? I think Russian mafia was always a problem. Well, but I mean I have a long standing <laughs> I was like, let's be real. Um I have I no have- such problem. <laughs> yeah, I think in general romance has a i mean we've talked about this before right like the whole the whole problem with like the dark hero and meaning like a criminal and i think the real problem is and this is like the black dagger brotherhood problem and it is the problem of this series is when they're white guys right that when they're white guys they're just like misunderstood and we're gonna forgive them but like this story if the you know like we just don't allow heroes of color to have criminal past then they're just like and i'm this is not my word but this is a word i've seen people use on the internet right like then they're thugs or then they're like why would i read a hero about a thug people say and i'm like yeah but you will happily like scoop up every motorcycle romance ever written Mm -hmm. so yeah like this and i but i think this is also crest something cressley's like kind of playing around with which is why are we attracted to heroes who are criminals? I think that's why in book three, she's also a criminal. I just think that's really important and we'll spoiler, get there in book three. Spoiler. Fine. It doesn't matter. Um, the No, I think you're right. But I also want to say relating to this because, I mean, I God knows, like, I've written my fair share of criminals, right? I'm currently writing. <laughs> smugglers right and i do think that there is something to that sort of like the code like that sort of the pirate's code right where like where it's it's um it's morality it's sort of a hint at morality chain and certainly for this for this one i think i think I, i i don't know about the others but like for sebastian it's not full morality chain romance, but it's there are definitely moments where he regrets his own actions because of her. Of what she will think. Not right, because absolutely. she thinks that way, but because yeah. he wants her to think more highly of him. I mean, this does not put away the fact that, like, we we judge, like, you know, we write white criminals in a way in a way that we don't write 
criminals of color. Or we forgive male criminals in a way that we don't forgive female criminals. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the player. So I do think that in some ways what this is really doing is like laying the groundwork for what the whole series is going to do. Right? And I think that the successes of this book, right, which are the sex is incredible. Mm -hmm. Right? Flat out incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that she is experimenting with point of view in a way that's interesting. I think it's it's no surprise to me that this was the only book that was serialized. She figured I, it out immediately that it didn't yeah, work. Yeah. So like she was like, this is not going to work. And then another two, and maybe we're guessing there. We don't know that for sure. But I'm guessing that she was like, okay, I tried that. That part didn't work. Well, can I just say also, like as a writer... The other piece of serialization that is a tr- that is a challenge is you can't go you can't edit, right? No. So unless I'm stuck with that now, you've written the whole thing and then separated it into three parts, which probably is not the way this worked. Um, again, that is pure speculation. There is part of the problem, and I again I don't know how Cressley writes, but if I I my str- my process is I get to the end of the book and then realize like what I'm doing and go all the way back to the beginning and have to start basically over. Like so serialization doesn't allow for editorial. So that's the part that I think is then just like really interesting, right? Like that's interesting to me as a reader now talking about it. And also like interesting as a writer. Like I'm going to try this thing. Dickens did it, you know? Sure. Why why not? I wonder if she was paid by the word. (laughs) Uh, Who can say? So, yeah. No, I think all of this is – I think this is all really interesting. I do think – I really, I'm really interested now in the master as a structural, structurally it is so different. And suddenly what we start to see, and I want to say this as, as listeners move into reading the master and the, and the player, is start to notice, like take note of how Cressley begins to use point of view as a tool, like right. to build the romance Um, Which we see sort of twice-ish in this book. But we start to see really powerfully in the next one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's propulsive in the next one. Mm -hmm. Well, and here's here's what I would also say is watch how in this series the the building blocks of the professional – that don't quite work for me are I've trapped you to save yourself. Mm-hmm. And in book two and book three, those are essentially there. That's it, right? I'm trapping you to save yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's... I'm well, trapping you, yes, but not to save yourself. Well, I'm trapping you to save you. I mean, what is... Now, here's the thing. In book two, she's essentially agrees to being trapped because she's running away from this guy he doesn't know. Yeah, but he wants to trap her for himself. He's like, I can't get enough of you. I'm trapping but you. But we know, right, we know why she's agreeing to it. Again, right? stakes. And then right. in the player. Right, we can't give it away, but I would say. Well, we can give away the fact that she is trapped, at least metaphorically, in the player. Here's my point, though. That essential core, I've trapped you, Mm. repeats in all three books. But in really different ways. In really different ways. And in ways that become much more satisfying because she nails the point of view thing, I think, better. 
How about we just leave? What's it interesting though is now I'm starting. I'm starting to really think about Cressley's core story, right? Because Lothair, everybody. I mean, there's a lot of tra- entrapment that's happening, right? Yeah, there's like the right. little, the literal entrapment on Torture Island. Lothair entrapping Ellie. Loth- uh, McGreeve and trapping Chloe. I mean, Lachlan traps, right? I mean, Sabine and Rydstrom. And I think it gets back to something you said you wanted to talk about, which is ownership. Oh, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about ownership because I think that that's, right, that's the difference. That's almost the line that, yeah, where there's trap entrapment and then there's ownership. And Entrapment can be for any number of reasons beneficial to both parties. Ownership is real problematic. And I mean, for me, ownership is especially problematic when it's tied to things like virginity, right? Like, I do not love the thread here. And I mean, like, I don't think I'm supposed to love it. I don't think it's not like Wrestling is like, hey, this is super awesome. But like, there is a there's a whole bit in this book where like well once his once her virginity is taken that's it like she's yeah. his forever and basically yeah. everyone is like yeah that's just how it goes in the mafia and you're like what the hell yeah, sure. this is not it's right. 2013 you can't this is not a thing <laughs> except yeah. it is a thing right well but later he fucks her ass and then it's definitely a thing <laughs> um and I also I just think like ownership in a romance novel you know ironically because how many times have we said we love mine right mine 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 mine. it's not the same when it's in the it depends on the voice when it's natalie do not run right talking yeah but okay natalie do not run is very different than vika do not leave and that is a tiny little like it's an unintelligible spoiler of one of the other books in the series (laughs) and like the two things are literally said in the same it's the yeah. you it's the same tone, it's the same experience, but it's a completely different yeah, moment and that's par- partially Cressley learning the craft of first person. Well, and you know what it, it strikes me that one of the things about one of the things that's really interesting about what we've talked about with IAD is her like rewriting heroes and like leveling up and we see it happening over 10 or 12 books. And I think we're seeing something happening in the same way here in three books, but because it's supercharged book number one essentially is like taking off at like, Oh, like I'm making like I don't know like yeah. what like planes take off like this and instead it's just like straight like up a like rocket a helicopter. Ship. Yeah, and I think that that's why it feels a little like what's going on here. Well, but also partially couldn't that be just because like Cressley's coming down off of 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 immortals? Like, yeah, right, the, sure. I mean, like there is a little bit here of like this is a bit of a crash landing of a book, and I don't say that like. That's not me being pejorative. That's literally me saying, like, imagine if you had spent the last six years writing 12 books, all set in a world where the stakes are impossibly high. Yeah. And then suddenly, like, immortality is off the table and you have Mm -hmm. to figure out the balance. And I think there's i think this is an equally fearless book like you can see so much of cressley coded into it right but like she has to figure out how to write a book where everyone right. can die yeah and still write 
the Valkyrie heroine and right. the alpha hero. Right. And I think that this is like a step on the journey. Mm hmm. But I don't think it's a like a shock that we keep using. Like I said, I'm coming back to my airplane metaphor, right? I don't think it's a shock. You called it a crash landing and I'm trying to describe it going up, right? Like I think there's a way in which like Cressley is not going to be bound by like regular romance rules. Right. But, you know, she's like the plane is like there's a really famous phrase about like like consultants use, right? Which is like we're like building the plane while it's in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that's a little bit yeah. of what's going on in this book. Well, right? it's like, your... And there's parts of it that are really working, but you can see then the other parts. She's like, all right, let's try this thing. Let's try this thing. Yeah. Right? Well, it's I love, love, love. She's learning to drive a stick uh, in a Ferrari <laughs> because yeah. she just like you. she is grinding gears here. But by the time we hit the master, suddenly oh, yeah. she's like at Le Mans. Like, yeah. And it's right. It's nuts yeah. how it is. Nuts. I mean, like it is. It, she is so skilled, you guys. the The level of talent, like, and it's raw talent. Like she yeah. has been hand. She is. She is a new tool, and she is right. like. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm gonna see if I can make a weapon out of it. <laughs> right. Right. And she's like a Neanderthal with like a rock. So, I mean, I think the things about the professional are, for me, that stick with me are, like, those scenes where I see what's coming. Mm -hmm. Right? And I didn't realize until, right, like, it, you know, it's, it's, that's what kind of really works for yeah. me. Um, and the fact that, you know, eventually, Sebastian does get unlocked and he tells his story. And one of the things I was really happy about is I feel like sometimes there's a thing that happens in romance where the heroine's like, you just have to talk to me. And then they finally start talking and they're like, Oh, it's okay. You don't have to tell me cause it's too hard. Mm -mm. And I, I was so happy that that did not. No, I here. love that. That's where we start to see Natalie become a Cressley hero, a Cressley heroine. Yeah. Because he's like, right. more questions. And she's like, I'm going to ask every fucking question and you're going to an yeah. answer every fucking question, asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. I am done. And like, yeah. your job here is to win me back. Um, And what the other piece of this is, it's a very, for a book that involves like the Russian mafia and a lot of running from guns, it's actually a pretty <laughs> quiet book in this, oh, in the yeah. emotional sense. Like, it's not like the master where like the that sort of dark moment at the end of the book is, you know, super dark. There is no right. real dark moment at the end of the book aside from her getting to the airport. Right. Right. And so right. there's this sort of well, it's a sort of quieter romance yeah. than all the others. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not the airport that that really finally like opens the dam for for him it's her tears right yeah. like she he brings her home from the airport and they're gonna have this explosive sex and they have anal sex for the first time and that's like a there's like a whole lot and then he takes her to the shower and he's gonna like care for her and she just starts weeping and it's like this is the thing that he that really and and like there's part of me that's like meh white women's tears are what breaks him really but I think it's just that he 
she has sort of been putting on her tough face, right? That's a really coded into her like narration, right. right? Yeah. And so to see her really emotionally break down is the thing that then allows him to break down. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It is exactly. No, it. it is nice. It's really kind of sweet. And like Yeah. It doesn't have very much conflict. And it sort of resolves itself really in a lovely way. And there's a lot, there's a lot about this book that is really likable. And there's a lot about this book where, like, I just want Cressley to, like, you know, figure out her tools. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, but again, I think, I mean, we've both said this, but if you, if it's a it's still a great erotic like romance it's oh, there's yeah. there's a lot about this that like we are being overcritical like hyper not maybe not overcritical but hypercritical i think well it's also i think hard because you and i are both so invested in later books in the series that we you cannot help but compare it right to like knowing what's coming next, knowing the thing that's your favorite. And I think that's always, always, like always also a really tough position to be in. Mm-hmm. But I think the ways that this book succeeds are definitely like as erotic romance in some ways. Although the one of the things that's interesting is like the stutters and starts. The promise of erotic romance is that as their like sexual connection progresses, their emotional one will too. Mm. And he is so resistant to that, that even when she feels she's broken through, she hasn't, right? Well, and he avoids so her and whatever. And that's, it's pain- yeah. It is a painful read at parts for a woman. Yeah. I mean, for a, par- yes. a, a woman or anybody, I, th- I assume, with like a, with a partner who is less than communicative, right? Like, right. it feels like, God, like sometimes it is like, running yourself into a wall and like imagine if literally every time you tried to reach out he just shut it down like and there and so there is a moment where you sort of think like well is this sort of a magic hoo-ha situation (laughs) where he has a magic peen and she has a magic you know and then you get to a place where like like in my mind it's like well sex is never enough like in this right, scenario, absolutely, and right. so it's it's yeah. and she it's knows really that, right? it is an emotionally draining book because as a reader you just oh, yeah. want them to have happiness. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think though that realistically too, like a thing I say all the time is like sometimes a really common complaint from romance readers is like that just would have been solved if they talked about it. That is one of my least favorite comments about romance novels because like if you have spent any time in any relationship ever in your whole life any relationship not just a romantic one like any relationship that is intense friendship in any child way, parenting right where like actually. deep deep rooted care is involved in any way like you know that like a lot of Talking shit doesn't work does not yeah. get said like right a lot and yeah so it's totally believable that they wouldn't talk about this. I mean, especially right. when you're talking about a guy who's like, you know, a criminal and like has to be yeah. strong and silent and he has to be what is he called? What do they call him? The enforcer. Yeah, right. My last thought about that though is I think what she's looking for though is 
movement, right? Like you said at one point, an old school hero doesn't have to change. They just have to temper. Yeah. And I think that that's like a really interesting question. Like, does he change or is he just tempered? But I think like McReeve, one thing where this is very common is the cathartic act of telling his own story is what is going to send them down a path into a healthier relationship. And she knows that even if he doesn't Mm -hmm. and her insistence that he must keep going is I think really powerful, like a really powerful nod. And and in that way they are very alike, Mm -hmm. I think, even though they're also very different. Well, I mean, there's also one big thing that's missing from this is family, right? Like the, the Roth brothers have each other. Right. And at least some subset of, right. Ultimately, the Sebastian brothers have each other. Like, in the next two books, she does not allow them to be loners. Like, they have family. Right. And then, um, you know, again, like, all the Valkyries, like, all the heroines kind of do have family. At least, like, if not not actual family, found family. Then you have all the, like, Lyke, the whole, like, clan thing. Cressley's removing a big tool for her. Right. Like, yeah, one of Cressley's core, you know, one of the ele- the key elements of Cressley's core stories are these big families. Yep. And she doesn't yeah. give either of them family. No. So Jess is pretty close for Jess is close. Je- well, Jess is great. Of the physical distance. Yeah. yeah. But like more importantly, Sebastian has no family. Even oh, when Maxim comes in, he's not family. Right. So I know. <laughs> Poor baby. Anyway, so this is really interesting, and I think you guys are going to have, I think you're going to have a lot of fun moving from this to the master and then to the player. Um, I would highly recommend that if you read The Professional and, um, you know, you should sort of move pretty quickly to the master um, just so that you can see. Two days is my preferred. You can see the reflection, like the way that they play with each other. Um, That said... Two weeks from now is Dark Sky. We're going back to IAD. That's right. It's a little bit, uh, you know, boomerangy. Um, we're going back to IAD. Uh, we've got an interstitial next week. What else? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You can find us on Twitter I'm, I'm, at Fade of Mates. You can find us on Instagram at Fade of Mates Pod. Yes. Fatedmates.net. Don't forget to look at show notes, which are great. Like us, subscribe, tell your friends about us. Remember, a lot of people don't read IAD or maybe don't read Cressley at all, but they might be interested in interstitial episodes. So if you know if you have a romance lover in your life, we'd love to have um, more listeners for our interstitial episodes. So you know, feel free to share. Um, I have a book coming out. I'm going to shamelessly promote. I have a book coming out in uh, at the. What is a podcast for? If you're going to shamelessly <laughs> exactly. Your book, it's only Sarah. taken 25 weeks. Um, I have a book coming out uh, July 30th. It's called Brazen and the Beast. Um, it, you can pre-order it now. You can pre-order it now if you've never read anything by me. I don't know if that's where you should start. <laughs> it's not. It, you should start with nine rules. Well, that's or... crazy. You're you're crazy. Don't make them read it. They're already reading all of IAD. <laughs> 
No, you guys need to read Sarah's books. What are you well, that's about? very nice. But you could start with Wicked and the Wallflower, which is out right now. It's the first in the series. Um, but Raising the Beast is coming. You can pre-order on Amazon. If you do pre-order on Amazon, I like you a whole lot. You can also pre-order from my <laughs> local indie word in Brooklyn. You get signed books and extra goodies if you order from there. And that's my shameless promotion for the week. I order... Um, books from like like real books for Sarah to sign and she doesn't know and then I just leave like really crazy instructions like please sign it too and then like it's like 800 things and Sarah's like are you kidding me right now please sign it Cressley Cole I'll also sign Cressley Cole books from Word if you order them from there (laughs) (laughs) another episode where I think Sarah's gonna get sued okay All right. Good night, faded mates. Uh, It was great having you.